Good morning, Bridge. Wow. so good to see you guys. Uh, it's been the hardest three weeks of our lives, and I'm going to do my best to hold it together uh, for your sake and for all of our sakes. But let's, I just got to be clear, guys, and it was, you know, the elders are saying to me, Jim, take all the time you need. Leadership team saying, don't worry about it. We got you covered, but I just needed to be back here this morning to say something and I want you to hear it. If you don't hear anything else, whether you're in the room, you're watching online, I need you to hear this. God's word is true, whether we feel like it or not. We serve a loving God who's prepared an eternity for us. And that is just as true as one plus one equals two. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a convenient truth or an easy truth, but it's true. And if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear these words. Don't ever base your life on how you feel. Feelings are good. Feelings are wonderful. But feelings are the caboose of this train. They are not the engine. Come on. This week, is, these last three weeks have been an in-your-face reminder that everybody loses something sometime. It's the reality of our lives. It is the natural part of life. Ecclesiastes 3 is the time to be born and the time to die. So can we just all agree together right here and now that it is not a question of whether or not we're going to experience loss in our lifetimes. It is a question of how we're going to deal with it when it comes. Can we get agreement on that one? Do we live in that season of grief in order to, in a way that honors God, in order that we can move into eventually what I call the new normal, a season of blessing, or do we define everything in our lives for the rest of our lives by that loss? and stay stuck in that season of grief for the rest of our lives? That's the question that I've been wrestling with, that Kim has been wrestling with, and that I want you to wrestle with if you haven't already. Many of you have had deep losses in your lives. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I Hopefully none of you will have to experience what Kim and I have experienced, what Pastor Farrell and Miss Millie experienced just three years ago. Hopefully you never will. But I really felt compelled by God to come here today and talk to you about this subject because there's something I have learned over the years, having been a pastor for many years and, and having, fr frankly, stood at the, at the deathbed of, of I don't know how many people. I've done over 500 funerals in my lifetime. I've stood at, uh, with families, had the honor of being with families in those moments, and I have watched families go through a season of, of loss and get stuck there 
And I've watched other families somehow grieve, process through it, and become strong again. You've seen that, right? And, uh, and I want to be the latter, not the former. I want you to be the latter, not the former. What's the difference? They went to the book for the direction. They went to the Word of God, which is true, for their direction. In case any of you don't know, those of you that are watching online, just, over th- just less than three weeks ago, tomorrow night will be three weeks ago, we lost our oldest son, Andrew. Picture of vitality, amazing wife, three beautiful kids, four, six, and 12, be 13 this month. Played right on this stage for Amplify last month. The evening of October 16th, he had a sudden heart attack, and he was gone in a matter of minutes. And so I, I really wanted to come here today and talk to you about what I've found as I've leaned into the Scriptures over the last couple of weeks, looking for answers, uh, and, and some commitments that I'm making, that Kim is making, and then I'm going to ask you to make. I, again, I hope you never have to deal with this kind of loss. I've lost all of my grandparents. I've lost both of my parents, but nothing quite hits me like this. I feel for our daughter-in-law, Emily, who, you know, we've lost our son, but she lost her other half. She lost her rock that she would normally depend on during times like this. I just want to share four commitments I'm making. I want to challenge you to consider making them. Thank you, David. I appreciate it so much. And I'll try not to keep you until second service gets here. <laughs> Commitment number one is I will release my grief. I will release it. I will not ignore it. I will not try to bury it. I will not compartmentalize it. I will acknowledge it. I will give it wings to fly. Amen? Now ask any professional who studies this kind of stuff, works with people who grieve, or anybody who's dealt with grief and with, with any kind of uh, internal processes, and they will tell you that there are five specific phases to grief. And every one of those phases or stages has very powerful emotions connected to it. Stage number one is the denial stage where we find ourselves saying, this can't be happening. This just simply, it's, it's not true. Kim and I were actually on vacation. We went to Mount Rushmore, one of the bucket list kind of things. And we were on vacation when Emily called and said, Drew's got indigestion and perhaps it isn't touching it. Will you guys pray? And so we stopped what we were doing and we prayed for Drew. And she called back an hour later and said, it's getting worse and he's struggling to breathe. So we're going to go to the hospital. Probably nothing. We said to ourselves, it's nothing. A few minutes later, she called and said, the ER doc says that uh, he's trying to have a heart attack, quote unquote. We're going to take him straight into the cath lab and see if maybe there's a blockage. He got back into the cath lab. Our middle son who lives nearby had made it to the hospital by then. And he called me and said, Dad, they just called a code blue. And I said, well, you know, you're in the heart pavilion. There's lots of code blues going on. It's probably nothing. And then he called and said, he's gone. Cardiac arrest, they worked for 40 minutes, he's gone. And I said, no, he's not. Are you kidding me? He said, no, I was just there. 
He just played at the bridge. He's, no, he's not gone. What do you mean gone? Now hear me, guys. Denial is a, is a reality, but eventually you have to face reality. Now, don't misunderstand me. Denial in the grieving process can be a gift from God. Because if we carry these emotions 24-7, we wouldn't survive. So every now and then, God gives us the gift of not thinking about it, not focusing on it. So don't, don't think that denial is always negative. It's, it's negative in a lot of ways in life, but in this case, it's, it's actually a, a break. But you can't live in denial. Eventually, you move to the anger stage, and you may say, well, no, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. I won't go through that stage. Oh, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. Let me tell you, you will go through that stage. In fact, if you don't go through the anger stage, you will stay stuck in denial until you do. That anger is real, and hear me, anger is energy. When you get angry about something, what do you do? You clean something, or you drive real fast, or you put your fingers, fist through a wall. I mean, anger is energy, and so it is the anger stage that catapults us through the rest of the process. But hear me, guys, you're going to go through the anger stage when you find yourself in these situations, and you will be angry with the doctors for not doing something you think they should have done or done it as fast as they think you should have done it. You'll be angry at family members. You'll be angry at yourself. You'll be angry at your friends, some of whom say stupid things. The smartest thing I've heard yet is there are no words, but I love you. That's it. You'll be angry at the one you lost. For not doing something, I don't know what, but something. And yes, you will be angry with God. All I need you to know is when that anger to God comes, here's what I need you to understand and know. Psalm 34, 18 is true. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You can get mad at God. He's a big boy. He can take it. And he'll love you when you're done. But don't ever forget how much he loves you and how close he is to you in those moments. The third stage is the bargaining stage. <clears throat> when you're dealing with a, a, a situation where you see the loss is coming, the doctors are saying it's going to happen, uh, that bargaining stage often takes the form of, God, I will do this if you'll just keep that from happening. And you go through these whole bargains. God, I'll, I'll serve you. I'll, I'll, I'll finally pay that debt. I'll, I'll go say I'm sorry to that person. I'll, I'll do all this stuff that's unresolved if you will just do something. After the loss, bargaining shifts into the most common expressions are the what ifs and the if onlys. You know, for me, if Drew had gotten to the hospital sooner, I don't know, maybe if the ER doctor had acted faster, if I had warned him more bluntly my dad died at 41 with a heart attack. It's in the family, right? Maybe if I had, I, you know, the what ifs start getting played out. You're going to go through the bargaining stage, guys. It's a part of the journey. And then you get to stage four, which is the depression stage. And that's not necessarily clinical depression. That's not necessarily need to be medicated, though it's okay if you do. But there is a deep sadness that just kind of settles in for a little while. I'm, if I'm honest, that's, I'm in the depression stage right now. I'm just, I find myself feeling like everybody's rushing past me and I'm at half speed and if I, if I speed up to catch them, somehow that's wrong. 
doesn't feel right to do that. And then I get angry that they won't slow down to my pace, which catapults me back into the anger stage. You see, this isn't, this isn't linear. It's not stage one, stage two, stage three. It's stage one, two, three, one, three, two, one. It's, it's over cyclical kind of thing. Until eventually they tell me to get to the acceptance stage. And acceptance is not, uh, you know, I'm okay with it, because you'll never be okay with it. Life will never be normal again. But you do come to accept the reality of it and begin to develop a new normal. There's a new sense of living. I lost my dad 46 years ago. Um, Next month it'll be 47, and I still have waves every now and then going back into those processes. But hear me, guys, no matter how long it takes, you never get to stage five unless you give release to the emotions that are associated with grief. I'm not saying let those emotions control you. I'm saying you have to recognize them. You have to deal with them. If you stuff them, if you pretend they aren't there, years years will come They will resurrect. If you bury them alive, they will resurrect. And they will do it at the least convenient times. They will do it in such a way that you will actually start damaging the relationships that are important to you in your life if you don't deal with them now because it's like a muscle. If you don't use a muscle, what happens to it? It atrophies. And if you don't embrace these emotions, you will lose the ability to deal with whatever emotions life throws at you. And can I say, dare I say, that we Christians can be the worst? There's this myth out there that says, well, you're saved, you know, you got eternity before you. Just say, God is good, praise God, praise God, God is good, God is good, praise God. Well, I'm not feeling much like, God is good, praise God. I'm not going to walk around being Eeyore. Good morning, if it is, which I doubt. (laughs) But if you say, how you doing, Jim? Right now, I'm not going to say fine. And I'm sorry if that's hard for you. I I know it can be. I'm going to say right now I'm struggling, but thank you for asking. That's real, okay? It's okay to be real and be a follower of Jesus Christ. Can Can I get support on that one? Don't fake it till you make it. In fact, here's how, here's, here's how Jesus put it. Matthew 5, 4, King James Version. Blessed are they that pretend they've got it all together. What? What does it say? Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Pastor Jim Frayer phrase, it's okay to grieve because it is in grieving that you get the comfort that you need. So I beg you. When you deal with the inevitable losses of life, when they come, release your grief. Pour it out. If you push it down, you will eventually lose the ability to deal with any emotions, and you'll find yourself a zombie going through life. Trust me, I've watched it happen to so many people over the years. It will not happen to me. I don't want it to happen to you. 
which leads us to stage two or, or step two, commitment to in this journey, is I will accept help from others. I will accept help up from others. Again, that seems so obvious, but let's be honest. When you're hurting deeply, the natural tendency is to pull back, build a wall, shut people out, say, you know, I just don't feel like being around people right now. Is that true? Everything in us says, no, that just doesn't feel right. I've got to be honest with you. When we went to Drew's uh, visitation and we stood in a receiving line for three and a half hours, uh, I did not want to go in that room. Kim and I sat in the car and I said, I just, I don't think I can do this. And she said, this will be good. We have to do this. I don't think I can either, but God will help us. And we prayed and we went in and, and, and I got to be honest with you, what happened in the process of all of that is while it was physically exhausting, it was emotionally and spiritually uplifting. That's why Paul said in Galatians 6 two, carry each other's burdens. Can I just tell you that the the hundreds, maybe thousands now, of cards and emails and Facebook posts and texts. And a dozen pastors texted me this morning that knew I was coming to share today, saying, we're praying for you, Jim. We got your back, man. We're praying for you. It's been huge over these last three weeks. We got into that receiving line. Nothing in me wanted to be there. And they opened the doors for people to come in. in. And who do you think were the first faces we saw in that long line, three and a half hours long? Pastor Andy and Kirsten. (laughs) And I found myself smiling for the first time in two days. There's strength that comes. We need the support that comes from letting people in as hard as it is. And I'm not suggesting that you won't need some alone time. You will. I'm certainly not suggesting you get on the party circuit. You won't be able to. But if you wait until you feel like it to let people in, you may never let them in. And we need one another. The second reason we need to let people in is because we need other people's perspectives. Pain has this amazing way of narrowing our focus so that all we can see is our grief and we start thinking, I'm always going to feel this way. We especially need people during these seasons who have been where we are and have gotten to where we hope to be. Out of all the hundreds and hundreds of exchanges that I've had, and again, I apologize if I haven't answered all of you personally. I hope you understand. Please do. I've read them over and over and over and over again, but I had one exchange with dear friends of mine from Bible college days that I haven't seen in many, many years, 30 years. I did not know that they lost an adult daughter some time ago, and so I wrote to them, and I told them some of the things that I was feeling, and I ended it by saying, is this weird? Am am I weird? And Here's what they wrote back, Jim. What your experience is not weird at all. I remember the first time I laughed after our daughter died, I felt so guilty. Find people, they wrote, who will let you talk about how you're feeling. Talk about Drew. Talk and talk and keep talking. I promise it will get better. As someone said to me, you will find a new normal. The first of all things will hurt. Let them hurt. If you need to cry, cry. If you need to scream, go into the woods or get a pillow, whatever, just scream. No two people will grieve the same. 
Be aware that as time goes by, there will still come waves of grief from out of nowhere. Some meeting, some smell, some picture, some song. Today, they wrote, is Beverly's birthday. So a wave hit us this morning as we woke up and acknowledged we would not be able to call her today. Anything can trigger it. Don't be surprised when they come. The waves We'll get further apart as time goes by. It's been seven years for us. But you will always have them. They will remind you to cherish the memories and to focus on the truth that we will be together again soon. And then there are the joys of knowing that maybe we can help someone else along the way. God bless you guys. You're in our prayers. I read that and I thought, I don't see it, but if they can get there, I can too. That's what we're called to do for each other. In fact, when you read all of Galatians chapter 2, Paul doesn't just say that we should carry one another's burdens. He goes on to say it's the law. Look at the whole thing in the New Century Version. By helping each other with your troubles, you truly what? obey the law of Christ. And I got a segue for just a minute. Every now and then I hear people say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I thought being a Christian is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I thought that's what that's all about. And I say, yes, it is about a personal relationship with Jesus, but you don't just get a heavenly father. You get a whole bunch of brothers and sisters. In fact, to say that I'm going to follow Jesus Christ and not be a part of the body of Christ simply doesn't line up with the Scriptures, Galatians 6, 2, among them. (coughs) There There are 57 commands in the New Testament alone that you cannot obey alone. Love one another, encourage one another, honor one another, greet one another, be devoted to one another, confess to one another, pray for one another, live in harmony with one another. You, you can try to live out your Christian experience alone if you want to, but you're not living a biblical Christian life if you do. It's one of the reasons God created the church, to give us the forum and the environment, the place where we can live those things out. And that's why you'll hear me say a lot, if I'm able to stick around here very long, you'll hear me say a lot, find a church and get in it. Commit to it. Don't attend it. Get in it. Be in it. Roll up your sleeves. Fully engage. Get into relationship. And if this isn't it, God bless you, go find it. Make sure it's God-honoring, Bible-centered, Jesus-centered, and then go get in it. But don't float along with it. Get in. And if it's the bridge, then get your phone out right now and text ownership to 55498 and get in. Come on. Because you don't attend church. You either are the church or you're not. The church is about relationships. And if you're thinking somehow the bridge has gotten too big to meet that need in your life, you need to understand that God did call us to meet one another's burdens, but he also told us to make disciples of everybody everywhere. And there are still tens of thousands of people all around us that desperately need Jesus. So at what point do we put out a no vacancy sign for fear that we won't get our needs met? At what point do we look at our neighbors and say, I got mine, I don't care if you get yours or not. 
Those two things have to live in tension with one another. We have to keep getting larger because there are so many people that desperately need Jesus. But we have to do it in a way that we don't lose the ability to meet the needs of the people that become a part of it. The New Testament church had to wrestle with that thing. I mean, they, they took in 3,000 members the first day. Okay? 5,000 soon after, some scholars say, city of Jerusalem and its surroundings had 250,000 people in it at that time, and as many as 100,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ in a matter of a few months. You talk about megachurch. That's megachurch. And yet somehow they were this close-knit, united community. How did they do that? Well, Read Acts 2 sometime, and you'll find out that they had two dynamics, two primary environments. They had what's called large group gathering, what we call large group gathering, and small group gathering. They had big public gatherings, and they had small private gatherings. And for us, that is uh, life groups, and men's groups, and women's groups, and, and even serve teams. Those are smaller groupings of people where we get together, and we know each other well enough to be there when these times Come, and that's what makes it possible for us to keep reaching more and more people because so many need Jesus without losing the intimacy that we had in the smaller days in the life of our church. The problem for some of you, if I can get real direct without being offensive, uh, the problem for some of you is that you enjoy the Sunday services around here, but you don't really know anyone well enough that when the inevitable storms of life come, you know who to pick up the phone and call. Or that you know anybody or trust anybody well enough to let them into your grief. And the result is, well, that church is just too big to care about me. Hear me. A church, by definition, cannot get too large because we are a needs-meeting organism. And as long as we're meeting needs, what difference does it make how large it is? If we stop meeting needs, it'll stop growing because people will beat a path to the door where their needs are met. In this environment, I just need you to understand that, that, that it's been huge for us to hear from hundreds of people, but it's been critical for us to have that small group of people that we've built deep relationships with who have rallied around us. The elders that were available met with me in the office this morning and just let me talk and prayed for me to get through this day. You need that. We need that. So my challenge to you, i got to move on, but my challenge to you is don't wait for the crisis to build those relationships. Don't wait for the crisis because you won't be able to then. Get in. Be, find that church. If this is it, come on. If it's not, then be honest with yourself. But get in. Build relational bridges now. Then when the flood comes, you'll stand the storm. Hebrews 12, 15, look after each other so that not one of you will fail to find God's blessings. Bottom line, if you're going to make it through the losses of life, you got to release your grief. you got to receive from others. The third commitment that I'm making, and I've had to make it intentionally, 
I'm going to ask you to do the same if you find yourself or when you find yourself in a season of loss is I refuse to be bitter. I refuse. I will not be bitter. Job 21, 23, some people die in the prime of life with everything going for them. Others die bitter and bereft, never getting a taste of happiness. Spoken by a man who lost all of his children on a single day. Andrew was young. He was 40. It would be really easy to slip into, it ain't fair. He didn't get to live. But one of the things that I've been hearing so much over the last three weeks are the stories of how Drew's life touched lives that we didn't even know about it. I mean, we didn't even know how fully alive Drew has been in relationship with both God and people. More than a thousand people attended his celebration of life, either live or online. Bear with me a moment. Guys, more notice next time. (laughs) Sorry about that. We had people watching the service in three countries and 31 states. And you know why? Because Andrew didn't just volunteer at the homeless shelter. He made his home a shelter for the homeless. We had a guy that told us, I was in Portsmouth, Virginia for a season, and Drew drove by and saw me walking down the road and stopped and offered me a ride. He took me home. He literally bandaged my wounds and gave me his couch, and he fed me until I got back on my feet. And I am where I am because somebody cared enough to reach out to me in that moment, signed your Canadian friend. Drew didn't just believe and celebrate recovery. He went through a season of struggling in the drug world, and God redeemed him and broke him free from that many years ago, but he understood the importance of of reaching people who were struggling in those areas. And so, again, he didn't just do a celebrate recovery event now and then. He turned his house into a recovery place. I went to his house one day to help him do some work on his house, and there was this guy in his backyard shed It was a really nice shed. It was a man cave kind of shed, but still, it was a shed. And we're tearing the doors off to put new doors on this thing, and here's a guy asleep on the couch. And I, whoa, sorry, didn't mean to wake you up, dude. He said, oh, man, who are you? I said, well, I'm Drew's dad. He said, who's Drew? (laughs) I said, he's the guy whose couch you're sleeping on. He said, oh, man. Drew saw him the night before. He said he was too drunk to drive, so he put him on his couch and He said, I'm going to feed him breakfast, and then we'll tell him about Jesus. The conversation that morning became, oh, you're a pastor? I didn't know pastors worked. (laughs) (laughs) Every now and then. Frank is a leader of Celebrate Recovery these days in community church, married, got a couple of kids. God did some amazing things in Frank's life. You, 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 I got to move on, but you know what I learned in Drew's short life is that the number of years that you have on this earth is irrelevant. It's how you live them that matters. 
Uh, and I've been reminded again and again and again, earth is just preparation for eternity. Drew's son, Andy Jr., who soon be 13, came to me one night, a couple of days after he passed. And he said, Gangan, this is what they call me. I don't know why. This is what they call me. Uh, we've been studying what numbers mean in the Bible uh, recently, and I've been thinking the number 40 represents tests. Do you think Dad passed his test? I mean, if life is just a test for the eternity, the forever that is before us, what difference does it make how many years it takes to pass your test? It's just, did you pass? Right? I mean, once you pass, why are you waiting for the reward? It's just the reality that earth is preparation for eternity. But if you forget that, if you forget that and you let bitterness begin to slip in because of something that you've lost or something that you're feeling, I need you to understand that not only are you killing yourself, not only will that bitterness destroy you, but it will ultimately kill everybody around you that you care about. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you for as it springs up, it causes deep, trouble. I won't ask you to say amen. I know you know it's true. That root, that bitter root becomes a vine that wraps around your soul and squeezes life out of you. It makes it impossible for you to have a healthy relationship with anybody and takes away the fulfilling life that you have. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, no matter what happens. Say it with me. No matter what happens. Does that include a loss we weren't prepared for? No matter what happens, always be thankful for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Doesn't say be thankful for what happened. Be thankful for what you have left after it's happened. Be thankful for what can never be taken away His name is Jesus Christ. That's why we called Andrew's service a celebration of life. Can I tell you, I did not feel like celebrating. I did not want to be in that room. It was all I could do to to even walk into the room and be a part of that. That day was the hardest day of my life to this point. But the more we celebrate the things that we have to be thankful for, the, may, the more we find our, our heads lifting and our hearts lifting. We celebrate the fact that Andrew loved Jesus with his whole heart. We celebrate the fact that, that we have three beautiful grandkids. We celebrate the foundation of faith that he laid for them, teaching them the principles of God's Word. We celebrate the wife and mother that Emily is, that we've got this godly woman to raise our grandkids. We grieve, but not for him. We grieve for us. We celebrate for him. Andrew has seen Jesus face to face. He's reunited with Kim's dad. And they're playing praise music together. And they're not even fighting over whether it's contemporary or southern gospel. Because there'll be a whole new genre of music there. 
Andrew met my dad for the first time three weeks ago. He's dancing on streets of gold. When you begin to focus on those things and when you begin to think about those things and you begin to think about the eternity that is before us, a glimpse, just a glimpse of joy begins to creep in. It's kind of like the old couple that died together and the first thing the husband said to the wife when he got here, he said, wow, this is amazing. You mean I could have skipped those awful brand muffins and been here 10 years sooner? <laughs> We're grieving for us. We're celebrating for him. Is that how we feel? No, that's not how we feel. That's what we know. I cannot tell you the number of times that Kim and I have looked at each other over the last three weeks and say, I don't understand but I still love God, and I still trust his ways. Mm. Psalm 62, 8, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. i got to wrap this up. If you want to get through a season of deep loss, join me in these commitments way in advance of dealing with the loss. Make the commitments now. When my time comes, I will release my grief. I will not stuff it. I will not ignore it. I will accept help from others. I will let those people that I have built relationships with in. I will refuse to be bitter. Instead, I will be thankful. And then finally, and most importantly, I will lean on Jesus Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I've learned the secret of being happy at any time in everything that happens. What does everything include? Everything. I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. Not I can do all things because I listen to enough Tony Robbins motivational speeches or because I psyched myself up, looked in the mirror every morning and said, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. Because I act enthusiastic until I feel enthusiastic. I kind of trick myself. No, that's not how you get there. Psalm 125, 1, those who trust in the Lord are steady as Mount Zion, unmoved by any circumstance. This word is true whether I feel it or not. Psalm 112, 6 and 7, such a person will not be overthrown by evil circumstances. He does not fear bad news nor live in dread of what may happen for he is settled in his mind that God will take care of him. Psalm 46, 2, God is our protection and our strength. He always helps in times of trouble so we will not be afraid even if the earth shakes or the mountains fall into the sea i got to close. Let me close with this. At the end of Drew's celebration of life, Pastor Michael, who's the man that took the leadership of Community Church when Kim and I left Chesapeake, such respect for him as a leader, such love for him as a spiritual son, and uh, very emotional for him to do the service, but he honored me by doing it. He said, I looked to, to our worship pastor yesterday and, and, and asked, so what would be a fitting song to close Andrew's celebration of life with? And Tony, who's also a good friend, 
said, uh, oh, that's easy. If I could ask Drew what song to do, I know what he would say. Andrew had this amazing ability to cut through the junk. Okay, he wouldn't say junk. He'd say cut through the crap. Can I say that in church? This is just one-time permission, okay? Just one time. And get to the bottom line. And Tony said, this is what Drew would say. Favorite song? It is well with my soul. Everything else is stupid. I mean, if, if, it's, if it is truly well with your soul... What else matters? And if you're not absolutely sure that it is well with your soul, what else eternally matters? Everything else is stupid. So I gotta I gotta do this. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, do not put it off another minute. That's it. Drew's got indigestion, can't fight it. Drew's gone. But can I tell you that I'm not challenging you to give your life to Jesus Christ because you might die today. Oh, you might, and it is appointed on a man wants to die and after that face the judgment but that's not why I'm appealing to you that's not why I'm challenging you I'm challenging you because the likelihood is that you're going to live for another year another decade who knows how much longer decades perhaps until Jesus comes I'm challenging you to make sure it's well with your soul because at the end of the day everything else is stupid life only comes together now when we settle that issue, and once we've settled it, once we've settled it, once we know that we know where we're going when our day comes, death is not a morbid topic anymore. It's just a reality of life. The only question becomes, how do I find the fulfilling life, the abundant life that Jesus promised? So I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this before. Maybe you have, but you've let some junk slip in. Bow with me and pray this prayer, would you? Pray it out loud. Pray silently. I don't care. Pray it in your own words, I, but pray. Lord, I just need an assurance that it is well with my soul. Imagine that you're standing in a room with Jesus Christ and you're making eye contact and you're saying, we're good, right? We're good? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Lord Jesus, help me to know that I'm, I'm good, not because I'm good, but because you're good and we're good. Forgive me. Forgive me for getting caught up in stuff that doesn't eternally matter. Give me a fresh start today. I need new life for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you prayed that prayer with me today, would you do me the honor of texting the word new life to 55498? Just let me know. I'll, I'll get that list this week and I'll be praying for you. We'll follow up with you. We'll touch base with you. Whether you're online or you're in the room, just let us know you prayed that prayer. We're going to keep Drew's legacy alive and the legacy of so many of you who have lost family members through the years by making sure that we live our lives in a way that it is well with our souls. Amen. Stand with me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us when we're on the mountaintop and when we're in the valley. Thank you for knowing us and how fallible we are. Thank you for the assurance that your word is true. When we can see it, feel it, touch it, and it's still true when we just know that we know it's settled in our minds that it's true. Give us that assurance, give us that strength, and renew in us the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.